Is this on? Oh, good. I am so pleased to be back. Um, is this not loud enough? Not loud enough. Okay. Well, I'm very glad to be back. No, that's better. I can just speak up. There you go. Speak up. You know, I was thinking about, uh, I was getting ready to come this morning. I was so excited about being here because for one reason or another, I haven't been here in at least three and maybe four weeks. And I really wanted to be here during that time. I thought about you a lot. I was getting ready to come this morning and I thought... You know, I've, it's been so long since I've been there. Maybe I'll feel stage fright or <laughs> worried. And then I realize I can't possibly because I come in and I feel so completely home. This is the first time in all kinds of places and teaching all over the place. But this is home. This is not. Uh, this is not anything to worry about particularly. There are some people here who I don't know that I haven't met before. Who are the people who have for whom this is the first time that we're meeting? Ah, that's fabulous. What's your name? Jacob. Jacob, where do you live? Uh, I'm glad you came. I'm especially glad you came because I hear from Donald that the commute from Berkeley is getting outrageous. It was. was. How long did it take you to get here from Berkeley? You know, Donald has asked me, maybe he asked you, to how would you feel if we... Did he ask here how would you feel... If we met from 10 to 12 and not from 9 to 11, how many people, it wouldn't change their habits about coming? They'd come anyway. That's very good. They'd come anyway. For who would it be a serious complication? How many people? Fantastic. That's good to know. I live formally 15 minutes away, now 25 minutes away in the same house. But uh, <laughs> but it's different. So uh, let's just think about that. That could happen. That changing things at Spirit Rock takes a little bit of doing. It's like turning the Queen Mary in the middle of the Atlantic. You have to make some plans. Yeah. All right. Huh? Donald said half an hour wouldn't make a difference. Mm. We could have a uh, we could have a test run for a month just to see. I don't know. Let me, I, I need to meet with the with the powers that be and discuss it uh, because I, 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 I don't go to the East Bay anymore. For I have friends there. I only go for lunch, not for dinner. Because to go for dinner means you have to leave about lunchtime to get there. You know, that's so that, that you know that's too hard. Okay, that's good to know. And your name is Jacob. I'm glad you came. Who else has not been here before ever? What's your name? Frank. Frank. Where do you live? Chicago, New York. Oh, so you're just passing by. 
Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. Is it cold in Chicago? <laughs> I love Chicago. It's a really a great city. I have cousins who live there. When I'm there, I think this is great. I'm glad you're here. Who are you? Where do you live? I'm glad you came. Is it the first time you've been at Spirit Rock? No. Well, you know, this Wednesday class has been here, I was about to say for millennia, but not really. But since before we had the last building, we were meeting in some sort of a tent, and then we were meeting in the last building for 20 years. And so that's why you can't just change it all of a sudden, you know, that sacrosanct time, but we're working on it. I'm thinking about it. Who else do I not know? What's your name? Uh, Dennis, and uh, from San Rafael. So, 16-minute drive. Very nice. Very nice. Come again. We're all, I, I like it when I say we're always here. It sounds like we're, it's not always me, but uh, it'll be me more now, because I'm more not traveling. But I like the fact that there's always a Wednesday morning here, whether it's me or Donald. It's somebody. So that uh, there have been notable Wednesday mornings, like the Wednesday after the election day, and the Wednesday after 9-11 was the next day, and the Wednesday of the um, Denver bombing explosion was a Wednesday. And it's nice to get up in the morning, for me, and I think for everyone, to think I could go to this place where people are dependably uh, hoping, as I do, for... Uh, a peaceful world and peaceful be- people in it. Who else? What's your name? My name is Lori, and I moved to Fairfax this month from Minneapolis. Oh, oh, oh. that's great. That's great. Um, welcome. Thank you. Minneapolis is nice, but this it's hard to go out in the winter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the same commute question. How long did it take you to get here, Pam? That's a lot of travel. Who else is new? There you go. Did you come the back way? You came down the highway. Whoa. Well, I think we have to really seriously think about moving the class. We'll take another vote at the end of the time. Um, these days, votes are being questioned and retaken. <laughs> but this seems sort of an overwhelming sense of the group, you know. But who else is not, has not been here before? What's your name? Come the front way or the back way? Come um, the back way. Come the back way. That's a much. <coughs> it's it is beautiful. Who else do I not know? Yeah. Uh, I'm glad to see you again, Marsha. Are you back for good and all now? Good. 
Who else do I not know? Yeah. But you live now in Fairfax. Half and half. I'm glad you're all here. By and by I learn names. Really by and by. But I'd like for us all to say hello. And if Ace were here or somebody were here, who's my reminder that everybody's supposed to say hello to the person next to them? Somebody had that job of reminding me. And it was Ace. Oh, no, but we count you, Amara. Was it you? But that still makes it all right for you to... And Ace isn't here today. So what do you want to say? I wanted to remind you that we should meet our neighbors and say hi. Take a minute to meet your neighbors and say hi. <laughs> Jacob, meet me or meet Sue. Sue, meet Jacob. Hello. Nice to meet you. Welcome to the class. I'm very happy to be here. Good. I actually drove basically from New York, uh, and I'm just visiting, so I'm just traveling. Oh, good. And I have been sort of doing a little... I wrote a letter to her about that article she wrote in the New York Times. I, I have the letter Jack wrote to her. Yeah. Really? <laughs> okay, I wonder if she got a lot of letters. I'll read it, I'm sure. Oh, that's It's completely wrong. I know. She told me this. I mean, I, I just explained to her my experience yeah. is very different from her yeah. experiences. Yeah. It's a, it's a common era. It's sad. It's sad. And he, he said so too. I'll read his results. Yeah. Okay. That's so, that's what a coincidence. Look at there it is. Lucy, I'm glad to see you again. How are you, Lucy? Hello, I'm glad to see you again. <laughs> and I'm glad to be back again. Seriously, I am. So you got that, I'm sure. So the way this class usually, well, the way it's planned anyway, is that we come together, we say hello to whoever we don't know, and we welcome people. Uh, I maybe make a few remarks. One of the remarks I want to make is uh, you probably passed a stack of books called Puppy Mind by Andrew Nance, who's over there, who comes all the time to class. And this is his book that he's written. Uh, And Jim Dirk. Dirk or Dirk? Uh, Are you Jim Dirk? I thought maybe you brought the illustrator with you. Anyway, the book is in our bookstore. Uh, Andrew will be in the back to look at it more closely with you and uh, uh, help you buy it if you want to buy it. But uh, you can guess what a puppy mind is. I used to hear about puppy minds when I was first listening to mindfulness instructions about the mind is like a puppy and you have to train it. And it keeps going in whatever direction it goes, and by by and by, it stays with you. 
it'll come up again today in all the things I want to say about being present in the moment. But the page I opened to, I thought, what page will I read? Is this page where it says, my mind scampers into the future. And I don't always like the pictures that it brings. And it reminded me of the, um, the line in the movie Kundun about the childhood and young adulthood of the current Dalai Lama, where he says in response to what is... What are the noble truths? He says the first one, life is suffering. And the second one, he says, the cause of suffering is desire. And his teachers say, no, no, that's got much to, you know, not real. What's the real second noble truth? And he says, I am the cause of most of the suffering that I feel because of the habits of my own mind. So there we are. The mind goes into the future and comes back with stories that may or may not be true, and we frighten ourselves often. But, I suppose what I'm planning to, I really have been planning for today tremendously, because this was an important month in all of our lives. Um, I think to prepare for talking about it would be good to sit. So we'll sit for a while. And apropos of puppy mind going into the future and going into the past, mind goes back into the past, it often regrets. It goes into the future. It often frightens itself. If it stays in this moment, it develops some um, it develops some steadiness. I want to talk about um, a, a, an article that was in the Sunday New York Times that said what's so good about being in this present moment it's an important thing because sometimes people uh, say as a definition of mindfulness it's being in the present moment and moving ahead like coming attractions I want to say. It uses exercises that um, sharpen the attention to what's happening right now because what's happening right now is what's happening. But not as an end in itself. It's to develop a keener attention, to be able to see through situations that are complex, to be able to make wise decisions about what to do next. The last line that the Buddha said before he died was move to to his assembled monks. Was move into move into the future with confidence, and I love that line. You know, you think, uh, how can we do that? You know, the, especially when the future is unclear and maybe not exactly what we wanted, or not at all what we wanted. That the move into the future with confidence is a reminder that you can be confident that you'll make the best response if your mind is balanced and clear and awake and seeing what's there. Any, uh, any future. So that's where I want to get to. I didn't think I was say it that clearly. I didn't think it that clearly until a minute ago. Until I heard it, actually. <laughs> which is often how it happens with me. So actually, let's, let's, let's use that definition of a meditation practice. Can meditate on 
a wide variety of things. You do metta meditation, you really meditate on the presence or absence of goodwill in your mind. If you meditate on some point of dharma, like everything that arises passes away, you meditate on the beginnings and ends of things. You just notice when the breath starts or when it ends. And sometimes you meditate by bringing your attention to some consistent and regular event that's happening in your experience. And if we sit still, and especially if we close our eyes, what is consistent is we're all breathing. So choosing the breath to be with is a way of, uh, of calming down the mind, soothing it, really, if it's calming, if it's calmed down, it's soothed. You know, I, I think that's also true. If you remember uh, taking care of babies, and they get distraught when they get they have they're too overwrought. They have too many things bouncing around in them, too many conflicting, can't settle down. And if you soothe them, if you hold them, you soothe them, you say the same thing over again, you rock them rhythmically, they calm down. They sort of get a grip. So this is a good time for in our lives. Every time is a good time to get a grip and calm down. But really to be able to think things through clearly. I remember when I started to meditate in the very beginning, my teachers would say, mindfulness is about being able to pay attention to everything, every moment. I thought, that sounds great. Then they said, now bring your attention to your breath. So you just said paying attention to everything. Now you're saying just the breath. Then they said, and if it, your attention is no longer with the breath, see if you can find the breath again and stay with the breath. So, whoa, you just gave another instruction, now you gave that instruction. But it's not true, actually. The, the, the be with the breath and be with the breath and be with the breath has two particular values. One of them is that it settles down the attention and it becomes calmer and steadier so that when you open it up to the whole spectrum of your experience, it's able to meet it more in a more balanced way. That's number one. And number two, if you were to just be with the breath and be with the breath and be with the breath, you'd see more and more nuance in the breath. You'd get more and more meaning out of the breath like it does arise and pass away. And it does arise and pass away. And letting it happen rather than forcing it is a more comfortable way to live. And we begin to see that as larger me- messages about life. Letting it happen inevitably when things are going to happen rather than pushing it usually works. Better than struggling with things that are beyond what we can do. So we'll sit, find a comfortable place. Don't worry if that was your cell phone. It always happens to somebody. And everybody else probably thought two things. They thought, oh, I hope it's not mine. And then they thought, oh, the person whose cell phone it is shouldn't worry about it. It happens to everybody. I hope they're not worrying about it. Everybody thought those two things. (laughs) I think. 
Now I hope my cell phone doesn't go off. <laughs> Pay attention. Let your attention rest easily with what its experience is in this moment. Pretty quiet in here. We'll take a minute to listen to the quiet. I often feel as I sit and listen particularly to quiet, the sound of silence as it were, that I feel my body present itself to me more keenly, like a Polaroid picture that's set out in the sun becomes brighter to me. And without particularly directing my attention, I become aware that my body is sitting because I feel pressure on my bottom, that it's sitting in a chair because I can feel pressure against my back, that I can feel my feet the way they cross. If I were having my feet flat on the floor, I'd feel that. that my arms are touching my sides and my legs, that my body is expanding and settling down as breath after breath follows each other, that I don't have to think Take a breath in, take a breath out. My body dependably keeps doing that for me.
my plan for myself, which I invite you to share, is to let my attention rest as much as it can with the experience of body breathing. Perhaps I'll start to notice how there are spaces between breaths, just naturally, and even spaces between in-breaths and out-breaths. From time to time, I'll notice that some other experience has filled the screen of my mind, perhaps some other somatic experience in the moment, perhaps a thought for later on, or a thought about the past, or... Maybe an awareness of how the mind feels. Um, perhaps the arising of um, peacefulness in the mind, or even the arising of restlessness in the mind. We use this beginning place of resting with the breath that's always there, really to investigate and make space for whatever else is there. In the moment in which the awareness arises, oh, I'm not paying attention to my breath. You are, again, paying attention to your breath. It's either coming in or going out or in between, and you can rest there. And we'll sit for 20 or 25 minutes.
as we continue to sit, it's been our custom here for a while to spend the last several minutes before we open our eyes and come back together as a group to uh, leave this space so that anyone who wants to mention what's on their mind um, that uh, they feel celebratory about or that they feel worried and saddened by and concerned about, to just mention it into the space. It's been... uh, It's been a really important dharma lesson for me over the years so that when someone says I'm thinking about my something, my brother, my sister, my father. We've all had brothers and sisters and fathers or some of them and or who has and this or that um, area of concern or celebration up for them that without knowing the people we can be a part of other people's emotional dedication and feel roused by it and feel included and part of a group that trusts each other. I've been thinking this morning about um, my eldest son who had his aortic valve replaced six weeks ago and has just been given... uh, permission to go back to the gym and start training and who uh, was looking forward to once again riding the AIDS ride down to Los Angeles this June and I just marvel at modern science that can do a thing like that so I'm grateful for that what are you thinking about today?
about all the undocumented students that I work with um, whose futures suddenly feel so uncertain and their courage in trying to, to forge ahead and, and look to a future with some hope. Thinking of my daughter Emily, who just returned from India, and at our Thanksgiving, she suggested that our family, as we do every year, choose um, an organization that we will support um, in gratitude for how much we have in our lives. And her idea was to support a mosque in San Francisco that is uh, working to raise money to build a, a larger temple, much as we have here at Spirit Rock. It's a very ecumenical um, uh, Muslim um, organization, and they're trying to raise money. And so her idea was that we use that be the organization that we contribute to this year. And so that's what we are going to do. And I'm, I'm just so grateful for that opportunity and that kind of generosity.
for all the people that we've mentioned and all the people we thought about and didn't mention and all the people that we hold in our hearts with hope and with honor and with celebration and with the best of wishes. May all beings everywhere feel safe and at ease and comforted. And may the merit of our practice together be that we feel comforted by one another's goodwill. Sometimes I get ready to say something and I know that I always say it. So I don't really have to say it again. But this really, it merits saying every week. I actually think that last five minutes or so that we sit together is maybe for me the most transformative moments of the, of the morning. Because I, I have a sense, I'm, I'm sure it's so, that when I hear people that I don't know all over the... who are voices here, and I hear them talking about their lives, about my mother and my grandmother and my father and whatever, that I feel it resonates in me, the, the, the message of the, of the share, either the celebration, twins got to be so old or someone else died. So the message of celebration and wonder and the message of concern and loving and um, compassion. And I, I really, I find it so um, comforting to me be, to realize that I'm pretty sure that we all feel that that we don't have to know who is feeling that or the person they're feeling it for, that we realize that we resonate with them. We have a heart that's still alive and is compassionate and cares about it. These people and those people and the other people and these people in the room who have relatives in one or another state of special significance... I really cannot think that human beings are not on some level strung for compassion and that when we're at ease, that's what comes up for us. When we're not frightened, we can respond with compassion. I've been seeing that in myself for this last month with all that's gone on. I've been uh, 
I've been thinking a lot about equanimity and compassion and how it's... uh, uh, maybe in a special way now, thinking about how important it's been for me to be able to think... um, Equanimity is the the portal through which wisdom expresses itself. To be able to have enough uh, balance of mind and alertness of mind to be able to say, this is what's happening now. Let's see what happens next. It's my favorite Gil Fransdahl quote. This is what's happening now, including this is how I feel about it. Let's see what happens next. And most important, what can I do? What should I do now? What should I do on the biggest level? What should I do about X or Y or Z? I was thinking just as I sat, it came to my mind that I made a lot of notes about what I want to talk about this morning, and I'll talk about them. And I thought I should end up talking about what, what does anybody do next? What can we do? Maybe we see what happens next. But we could always do kindness. We could always do kindness. We could always do listening to people. You know, I'll start, not where I thought I was going to start, but I'll start. A friend of mine that I talked to on the phone with this morning said... um, do you know the poem by Ellen Bass? Do you know the poet Ellen Bass? Have you heard of her? This is a poem by Ellen Bass. It's called If You Knew. What if you knew that you'd be what if you knew you'd be the last to touch someone? If you were taking tickets, for example, at the theater, tearing them, giving back the ragged stubs, you might take care to touch that palm. Brush your fingertips along the lifeline's crease. When a man pulls his wheeled suitcase too slowly through the airport, when the car in front of me doesn't signal, when the clerk at the pharmacy won't say thank you, I don't remember that they're going to die. A friend told me she'd just been with her aunt. they just had lunch, and the waiter, a young gay man with plum black eyes, joked as he served the coffee, kissed her aunt's powdered cheek when they left. Then they walked half a block and her aunt dropped dead on the sidewalk. How close does the dragon's spume have to come? How wide does the crack in heaven have to split? What if, what would people look like if we could see them as they are, soaked in honey, stung and swollen, reckless, pinned against time? been very um, seductive in the last several weeks to think about um, enemies and who doesn't think the way I do, who are the good guys and who are the bad guys, who's on my side. And I had the, I had the experience uh, the night of the election on November 8th I was in Rancho La Puerta in Mexico, which is a very large uh, health resort, where actually I have been part of their coming and going teaching staff for more than 40 years. That's that's incredible. It was before I met the Dharma, before 
just before a lot of things, but in my uh, in my thirties, I began to go down there when it was a very rustic and simple health resort, uh, where you got went for fifteen dollars a day. Uh, if you were able to deal with a toilet down the path from you. If you wanted a toilet in your same room, you paid $18 a day. <laughs> and you had Spartan meals, and you, uh, Spartan vegetarian meals, and you had classes all day long, early morning hikes, 9 o'clock, um, Jane Fonda exercises. <laughs> Foot massage, yoga, back massage, all kind of, but that, that you did yourself, you know, not, not that anybody did for you. And it's come from that place, uh, very rustic, to $4,000 a week and uh, really quite an elegant and posh hotel. And I started teaching there uh, before I was 40 years old, so more than 40 years, I go back when I have some, when I can make a vacation time and when they'll have me, I go down as teaching staff and I uh, teach an hour of meditation, of mindfulness meditation every day and I give a talk one night a week as all the visiting teachers do. So on the night of November 8th, I was giving a talk, scheduled to give a talk, and I was scheduled to give a duet talk that I do sometime with my daughter Emily who's a life coach, and our talk is, who also teaches there regularly. And uh, the title of our talk was, How Does the Wisdom of Contemporary Life Coaching uh, Match with the Ancient Wisdom of the Buddha, the Dharma? And people are assembling in a big room like this, about this many people, and uh, everybody's got their cell phone out because, nevertheless, that this is in a, a rural road in Mexico, everybody's got cell phone coverage. And everybody is watching the election re- results. And somebody tells me the results at one minute after eight while people are sitting down. And I don't know how all of you voted. You know, the, the, one always imagines it's one way or the other way, but at least there, uh, you actually know how I voted, I'm quite sure. I'm not supposed to say because this is, this is, a, uh, this is a church. I'm not supposed to be partisan. But since we all cheered together so, so uh, excitedly when Mr. Obama was elected and re-elected, I know what the general sentiment of the group is. But I want to be very careful because some of you may have voted otherwise. That's always true in any group. And here I am in front of this room, and I was quite unhappy. I was actually quite surprised. Actually shocked is the right word. And, uh, but I had to give a talk, right, starting then. And uh, Emily said, what are, you gonna say? What, are we, what are we gonna say? I said, I'll start, because it was time to start. And I actually later wrote down what I said, because I thought, wow. I thought the Dharma, I said, the Dharma is going to have to come through for me because I can't. So I wrote this down. Actually, I wrote it in a blog. Uh, you can read the blogs on sylviaborstein.com sometime. Anyway, I wrote in the blog so and so. Then I'd say, I see what I wrote is, this is what I remember. 
I know from seeing everyone here on their cell phones and talking to each other that you have all heard the result of the election. We are a large group, and it's most likely we represent diverse political opinions, and that each of us voted in the way we thought was best for our country as well as for our individual families. I think that's true. I think it's likely that our opinions, one way or another, are strong opinions, since this has been a remarkably contentious election season. More than ever, I understand why terms like battleground states and war chest are used in strategy discussions as if the United States is having a war rather than an election. And how we come to think about people who vote differently from the way we do as our enemies. Each of us, no matter who we supported, has had more than a year of hearing the other, hearing other people vilify the person we chose. Even now, I will not ask you to identify your choice of candidate to the people around you. You've been here half a week, hiking together, sharing communal dining tables, taking fitness classes together, stretching and balancing your body on adjacent yoga mats, and you've exchanged cordial greetings or at least friendly smiles. We're the same good people who hiked and ate and chatted congenially with each other all this time. We are, not, we are all interested in nutrition and health and fitness. All of us love our families. All of us hope our families will flourish in a peaceful world. We chose the candidate we voted for because we believed it would be the best choice. If we were all relaxed, if we were all in a relaxed mind state and could talk to each other about the reasons we have for voting the way we did, we could talk to each other about the reasons we had for voting the way we did. Now would not be a good time to have that talk. (laughs) The negative rhetoric of these last months and weeks have traumatized us all. Those of us who feel disappointed are likely frightened by what we imagine will happen next. For myself, I hope to use these next days to let my nerves calm down and my mind settle, to talk to my friends, to have them remind me that equanimity is the ability to say, this is what's happening now, let's see what happens next. The Buddha would have said something like that if not those exact words, his last words in this life, were move confidently into the future. I then went on to say, it's interesting, I forgot this, that uh, uh, I have been sad ever since and worried. And as I was talking to one of my friends, I said, although I'm sad and worried, I haven't been angry and I've been grateful about that. That's mostly true. That's mostly true. Every once in a while I think, didn't happen right. And And then I think of personal lies I'm... Anger arises, but I think it's so extra. It's really always a sign that I'm frightened. So I'd just rather skip the anger part because it's very hard and just see what I can do. What can I do? That, I think, remains the question. However you voted, I actually think that uh, if if, if you voted differently from me, uh, which was not the prevailing decision in Marin County and probably not in this room either. You probably have felt badly because people around you have really probably uh, not been tolerant of your mind state. I gave a talk at the Unitarian Church. Uh, uh, oh, Susan was there. Uh, 
the Sunday following the election. I'd agreed to do it way before the election. And there were representatives there from the Marin Democratic Party and the uh, official of the Marin Republicans for Trump and uh, a libertarian spokesperson and a uh, Green Party spokesperson. And I sat next to the representative of the Marin Republicans for Trump who comes to Spirit Rock. Actually, is a volunteer here at Spirit Rock. Perfectly nice woman. Voted differently from the way I did. I said, I hope I see you in Spirit Rock in two weeks. Well, we in for today when I was going to be back. I don't see her here, but I don't have a good recognizing faculty, so she might be here. People have different ideas. And I've been in various places, really, at some... Keeping having a, making an effort to talk about that uh, not becoming... Uh, cultivate equini- cultivating equanimity does not mean cultivating indifference. It means cultivating equanimity. Um, and I'm trying to do that because then I'm... I'm first of all, I'm saner. And uh, I, I can manage a little bit better. It's less trying on my nervous system. And also, it's, it, it just doesn't make any sense to, be, to make adversaries. That's the difference. You can really take issue with something and be opposed to that idea. But I think that the sense that, uh, that I came away from that whole year and a half of campaign about was it's hard to make a difference between adversaries and enemies. People could be adversaries without being enemies. It was an, several articles in the newspaper about... Um, one I heard for yesterday, again, a personal story from a friend of mine whose family Christmas party, family Thanksgiving dinner, had been canceled uh, because it's a, it was a big family reunion every year, the whole family, 50 people got together at somebody's big home in Southern California, and they canceled the the Thanksgiving dinner because they figured they couldn't have it in a non-conflictual way. I know other people who told me about Thanksgiving dinner where there were people who had voted in different ways and it was understood or the, the, the admonition was made beforehand, no talking politics, only talking about pie. But the, the, the thing is, uh, I wonder how it worked out because when you sit with all those people and you know their politics, you think she voted that way, she voted that way, she voted this way, she voted that way. And you see how you feel about that person. It's really hard. You know what's also I was thinking hard? must be hard. I think it would be hard. It was hard for me to... Uh, hear people vilify my candidate, my candidate, the candidate I had chosen. And first of all, I thought that the, the vilifications weren't true, the, the accusations weren't true. And it's so painful. It's like when somebody, in much lesser scale, somebody, there are brawls that happen all the time because someone maligns your sports team. There are tremendous brawls in, in sports stadiums because of the people who are rooting for the other team. This is much more significant than a, than a sporting event, but still, you don't like to hear your team maligned. It makes you feel bad, and then you... So I think we've all been traumatized by really 
super um, not nice talk for a year and a half. Like everybody should lower the volume. When we started to sit this morning, there's sometimes that I really think, oh, I'll, probably all the time I really think, oh, it's wonderful to be here. So soothing to sit in this silent space. This morning I thought, oh, it's really wonderful to be here. It's really soothing to be in this space. So I think we're just all... I talked to my two uh, friends with whom I drive when I come here on Wednesday mornings. And the, the general sense people had is I'm recuperating you know, mostly people who felt very strongly in the way that I did, myself included, were just really stunned. You know, it's like uh, you need some time off. When I spoke in the Unitarian Church, I remember I said, this is my suggestion for people. Uh, I don't think we should right away start to have discussions with other people and make amends or whatever or challenge. I, I said, I think we should all go home and bake a few cakes and cook a good dinner and invite a few people on your street to come over and have dinner with you and talk about the food or make it a potluck or something or other. But do something that's satisfying and nourishing and does not provocative, like inviting people for dessert and having, having a meal with them so we can all relax. I began to think that if I could change some of the wording of Dharma, oh, you know how it is that sometimes I I can't believe I don't have a copy of the Metta Sutta right on me. I always do. But somebody is going to take it out. (laughs) You have it there. It's all right. I like the, the... There are 13 lines of admonition about... Starts with, this is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, uh, uh, contented and easily satisfied, uh, something, something, uh, free of duties and frugal in their ways, not doing the slightest thing of which the, wor- the, of which the wise would later reprove. That's it. All ethical guidelines. And then it says the main instruction, wishing in, God, in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. I love that line. I'm quite content with sometimes we hand out metta sutras to a whole group of people. Maybe we'll do it sometime and have people pick out, this is a line that I like the best. But that's the line that I think is crucial to it. Wishing in gladness and in safety, May all beings be at ease. I like it for several reasons, but it doesn't say may all beings be happy. Happy is a confusing word because some people's happy is... Some people are are just cheerful by nature. Other people... How many people know somebody in their family who's cheerful by nature? How many people know somebody in their family who's grumpy by nature? How many people have both kinds in their family? (laughs) So that at a Thanksgiving meal or something or other, somebody says something, and somebody says, well, you know Joan, she's always like that. You know so-and-so, always like that. I, uh, well, I won't tell you where. I'm not grumpy. No, I'm not grumpy. 
I think I'm cheerful. Okay, we'll do that way. I like that better. I think I'm cheerful and, f- and easily given to fretting and worrying, but lesser, uh, a recovering fretter. <laughs> I think that's true. Uh, so I don't like to use happy so much because some people are easily cheered. Oh, actually, I've said that about myself, that I'm an easily cheered melancholic. That's true. <laughs> I am. I, you know, I, I, I tend to see the bleary sides of things, but I'm easily cheered by simple things like, uh, like a good movie. I, 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 uh, I went to see Arrivals sometime in the last couple of weeks. And I went, and I normally would not go to a science fiction thriller because it is, it's not my thing. I, 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 don't, I, I don't so much like thrillers. There's usually a lot of smashing. And, I didn't mean, but my husband likes them, and he said, this is supposed to be a, a science fiction for really thinking grown-ups. So that was like a gauntlet out. Are you a thinking grown-up? <laughs> I am a thinking grown-up, so I said, okay, we'll go. And I, I, was, it's, I really was well rewarded by it. It's a really, really very well done movie. And the cinematography is terrific. It's from different, different views and everything about it is very good and the acting is very good. And in the middle of it, I was so really captivated by it, I had the feeling, I had the thought, also the awareness, I'm really captivated by that and this. And what's more... I'm not thinking about this whole big preoccupation that's been following me around like a cloud for the last several weeks. You know, that it's just, in this moment, it's exactly the same in the world as it was a half hour ago. But I'm here, and I'm really here. And it was such a pleasure, first of all, to have that kind of captivated and really exultant mind. Look what people can figure out and do. I mean, we're actually not talking to you, you know, to um, people that come on extraterrestrially, but that we can even think about how it would be and what their message would be and what the denouement would be, and that we can film that. And uh, you know, I, I, I'm I am easily cheered by something like what we, what we can film, or that I can pick up my cell phone and call my friends in France, not plugged into anything. When I grew up where they still had phones on the wall where you had to call the operator to place a call. You know, that, it's amazing what's happened in the last uh, 80 years. I'm easily cheered by human ingenuity. And I'm easily melancholic about... Uh, on a joyful occasion, uh, maybe at someone's wedding... I suddenly have the thought, I hope this lasts. Just when they're making all their vows. You know, it's just like a contrary thought. Why would I think that? That's not nice. Everybody's enjoying this. How many people ever thought that at a wedding? Yeah. It's a big thing to have a marriage last a long time. But may all beings feel at ease. That's, I think, it. We're either frightened or we're at ease. You know, that's, it's, it's so clear that when we're at ease, our own warm heart manifests itself. 
That's it, like the whole of the Dharma. I think about that sometimes. It's, well, you know, well, the, 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 the canon of Dharma books, first of all, not to say, not to say just the, the ancient canon of Dharma books, but the modern, you go in the bookstore here, a monumental amount of contemporary takes on Dharma. And I really think the whole thing is that when we feel at ease, we are strung for kindness. That's what, I think that's what's kept human beings alive so far in an increasingly crowded world. That's why I think so much that we've got to calm down a little bit before anybody does anything terrible. Because we are hurting the earth and polluting the environment. You know all that stuff. That's why I thought, by the way, that um, that's why I said what I did before about uh, taking such heart when we share what our uh, personal concerns or our personal moments of celebration are. It's not the, the, the data in everybody's specific share, although that's very touching and moving, but the fact that human beings are moved. We care about things. I don't think I'm not sure that we're the only species that cares about things. I have a friend who routinely sends me wonderful pictures of um, gorillas with their babies and uh, uh, big dogs with kittens taking a nap under their arm or something that's very touching. I'm sure that there are well-mannered, well-tempered animals and that all animals all animals that need to that all that have babies that need to be cared for have a nurturant gene in the parent because they wouldn't get cared for. You know, they sometimes think we have such a big library of uh, infant care and baby care and all that stuff. And before a hundred years ago, there's no books about how to take care of babies. Everybody figured it out. You know. <laughs> not that hard <laughs> I mean it is hard to make good judgments but you know you, you care I've been thinking about uh, well there are three ways that I wanted to continue on with what I was talking about I was going to tell about wait wait about how to work on making things uh on remembering that equanimity is not uh, submission, it's not, um, it's not indifference, it's awake uh, care to respond appropriately. So I had three ways I wanted to talk. First of all, about of an article in the New York Times last Sunday. Second of all, about, I wanted to say really that every single thing has a Dharma message. Every single thing, like uh, uh, I'm standing online in the supermarket yesterday and uh, I have one item and there's somebody in front of me with a bunch of items who sees me and says, why don't you go ahead of me? That's a, a little thing. How many people have ever had that experience? A lot of people. It picks you right up, you know? I don't think it's about waiting or not waiting an extra three or four minutes online. I think if somebody noticed me and cared about me, it makes you feel better. 
that they, and it, it, I, I sometimes think there's so many moments in the day that you could pick up the mind and notice it, and then it changes the flavor of your mind. I'm going to read you. That's such a homely way to say it. I'm going to read you a piece, I hope, from Tolstoy before the end of the time, because I, I, I've taken on reading War and Peace. So I've never read War and Peace. I'm 80 years old. I never read War and Peace. I thought now I should read War and Peace. And it's great. It's not great because the story is so amazing. The story is very intricate and long, and people come and go and marry and die and divorce and everything else. No, they don't divorce because it's 1810 in Russia. But the writing is really, really beautiful. So I I read a little bit, and I listen to it on my uh, Audible, and then I read some more. It's really wonderful. So I was going to read you Tolstoy on how the mind works, because it's beautiful. I'll try to remember to get there on time. But everything has a Dharma message. One of the dharma, what's a dharma message? A dharma message is a message of truth. It, people translate the word dharma as the wisdom of the Buddha, but it really means wisdom, what, what's true. And what's true is moment to moment the mind has different, ex, different experiences fill the mind, or the mind meets different experiences. And what the Tolstoy is an example of is when uh, the same experience meets the mind that's this way, it experiences it that way. And when the mind is in a different place, the same experience the very next day is completely different. So when people say, I changed my mind, they really did. You know, that the mind, cha- well, they, maybe they changed it or something changed it. There's a story about not a, not a story, a truth about Viktor Frankl. Do you remember Viktor Frankl? Is that a name that you know? Viktor Frankl was a psychologist early in, in the mid middle of the 20th century whose family was entirely killed in the Holocaust. And he survived the camps. And afterwards he suffered a tremendous depression, as you might imagine. And really depressed and depressed and seriously depressed. And he tells a story about he's sitting one day um, somewhere in a park or somewhere where there's trees and greenery, and there's a branch that's right next to him. And the branch has some new green leaves coming out of it. And somehow he sees the new green leaves coming out of it, and he realizes something about the ongoingness of life. He said, in that moment, I like, was reborn into a life and I, I had energy and I, and I had meaning in my life. I could do something. I was still alive. I could do something. And that logotherapy is really the th- based on the theory that what's most painful to the mind is feeling that life is meaningless. And it's the feeling of meaning that inspires it. And I think that the feeling of meaning comes along with the feeling of potency. I could do something. I could do something. We've talked about that so many times in little ways. My neighbor who said, I still have a neighbor. I still have a nephew in Los Angeles that I could call. He was in charge of his own morphine doses because he was dying of a pancreas cancer. 
And he said, I could take more morphine on any given day as a physician, so he had his own medication. So, said, but I don't do it because I keep thinking about it. I have a niece in Baltimore that's starting a business. I have some, some ideas for her, and I have a nephew getting married in Los Angeles. I have some ideas for him. I, I can call him and tell him that. And he said, every time I think of something, I think, well, not today. Maybe tomorrow I'll end it. But today I can still do something. Feeling you can do something in the world is, I think, my sense of one of the things that keeps you in it. Maybe not the only thing. But I wanted to talk about, there's a Dharma message in everything. What I think is, once you have, once the mind spends enough time with an awareness of Dharma truths, who doesn't know that everything passes away? You know, that we can't hold on to anything that we reminisce. We say, oh, the good old days when this or that. Uh, but the other message of that is that the good old days were and they're not anymore. Or whatever was, wasn't anymore. And uh, we can either meet that moment with lamenting or thinking, okay, what have I still got to do? I spend a lot of time or a fair amount of time talking with old women these days because I'm one of them. <laughs> so I find the groups of my friends are groups of old women and we talk a lot about uh, some of the uh, uh, discouraging parts of being part of being an old woman. You walk out of a, uh, uh, you walk out of an airplane, you're walking along the airport pulling your light suitcase on wheels and you're walking along at what you think is a really good clip and everybody is zooming by you. <laughs> and you notice that. You say, wait a minute, you know. Uh, that, uh, so anyway, whoa, catches you up. Uh, you get on a bus and three people stand up. And, and, whoa. and but I've actually gotten past that. Now three people stand up, I sit down, hey. You know, <laughs> There is the other side of that. Let's not pretend. <laughs> but you know, the, seeing the the the, the challenges, I I had one old friend who died a year ago, and she was in her very late nineties. And I said, "Do you ever think about what you can't do anymore?" And she said, "No, I only think about what I can still do." I think that's a really amazing piece of dharma. What's gone is gone. Now is now. And we know it, but then we forget it, and we lament, oh. Anyway, that's a Dharma message, and I want, I, I'm always interested in talking about how the world is full of messages. Everything is a message. If you know what you're looking for, and then you see it in everything, it's not like, not like everybody would get that message, but my sense is that when we talk about it a lot, then we get that message. I want to talk about what really mindfulness is. Okay. Also, I was I, I wanted to I wanted to say once again I've gone to the opera. This is the last opera for the season, so this is the re- end of the opera, uh, and and heard Aida, which was fabulous. But there's a a point early on where somebody sings out. I think it's it's Rodimus, I'm not sure. Sings out. Ven- uh, Vengeance is my only goal. And I think, oh, too bad, because it's going to end up not good for this person. You can, it's a giveaway line, you know. 
vengeance is my only goal. Then I thought about it later on. I'd written it down, says I remember. It goes with, uh, speak to me of nothing but vengeance. That was another earlier this season opera. And it said, vengeance is my only goal. And I want to end up somehow today or whenever we're again talking about forgiveness is my only goal because that's really, I think, what liberates the heart and liberates the mind from struggle and pain. It's forgiving everybody, not just the people who I designate as the difficult people, the enemies of my life, but my habits. Uh, this is the way I am, or my, my, my fretfulness about potential harm to any of my family. Uh, where I can even say, you know, I can either say, 40 years of Dharma practice and I still fret, or I can say, isn't that interesting about human minds? 40 miles of Dharma, 40 years of Dharma practice, I fret, but not too long, and I recognize it, and I, and I deal with it, and not as much as I used to. That's it, that's really good, wow. You know, think if I hadn't. So a Dharma message I want to talk about is wisdom, and uh, maybe I'll get to read the Tolstoy. I want before that to tell you two other things that I brought to show you. Okay, pick up the pace. This is, and Jacob also read it. Jacob told me he wrote to, he wrote to the author or he wrote to the New York Times? The author is uh, Ruth Whitman, uh, who's written a book called America the Anxious, how our pursuit of happiness is creating a nation of nervous wrecks. I don't know that that's how it is, but anyway. I'm at a kitchen sink after a long day of work and kids in chores and the emotional exhaustion of a toxic election season, attempting to mindfully focus on congealed SpaghettiOs. My brain flits to the Netflix queue. I manhandle my thoughts back to the leaky orange glob in front of me, my brain flits to the president-elect. I'm making a failed attempt at mindful dishwashing, the subject of a how-to article an acquaintance recently shared on Facebook. According to the practice's thought leaders, this is not me, if I'm a thought leader, or any of my colleagues that I know, by the way. According to my, the practice's thought leaders, in order to maximize our happiness... We should refuse to succumb to domestic autopilot and instead be fully engaged in the present moment, engaging completely with every clump of oatmeal and decomposing particle of scrambled egg. Mindfulness is supposed to be a defense against the pressures of modern life. I don't think so. It's supposed to be... uh, Anyway, anyway, I don't think so. Uh, But it's starting to feel suspiciously like it's actually adding to them. It's a special circle of self-improvement hell. Perhaps the single philosophical consensus of our time is that the key to contentment lives in living fully, mentally, in the present. That's not true. That's just not true. I think it's, without going on with it, uh, I think that comes from two things. I think it comes, first of all, it it comes from, in a little bit, uh, this is not to assign blame, but... um, Forty years ago, uh, Richard Alpert, by then Baba Ram Das, was saying, "Be here now." 
and it became the watchword of the new meditating scene. Be here now in this moment. And he told stories of his guru would be here now. I think we've come 40 years and there are certainly, there is being here in this moment and learning to pay attention in a deeply perceptive way is what we're doing, but not in order to be here now, uh, in order to train the attention to staying focused in a deeply penetrative way so that we can clearly see what's the smokescreen that's distorting our knowledge and wisdom about what's happening so that we can respond with clarity and with discernment and with wisdom. That's what it's about. It's not about being here now in every moment. I remember thinking about it, and I was thinking, oh, over the years, I've thought about it for 40 years. There are certainly moments where, that are enhanced by being here now. You think about uh, dancing or eating or, or eating food with, with people you love or... Uh, being in the symphony and uh, listening to it, uh, I, uh, I, I watch myself sometimes when I'm in a musical event, maybe listening to a, a symphony orchestra playing, and every once in a while, some piece of my life floats into my, up into my mind. My mind starts thinking about it. You know, I saw this program with so-and-so said X, and then they said Y, and and I could write a letter to the editor, and I could do this and this and this. Then I see that five or ten minutes went by, and I miss the symphony. At that moment, I'd actually prefer to be in the symphony. I'd prefer to be there now. And if I say to myself, hey, you're missing the symphony, that whole story, which is a story, it's a thought, it's even a viable thought, will come back later. It disappears in the moment, and the symphony is there. Actually, I often feel that as like a, like a bong, like a wake-up bell, and I wake up. And all I did was think, you're not here. You're missing this. Ah. Uh, there are times when I purposely miss the experience. And if I sit in the dentist and I have a mouthful of apparatus that's holding my mouth open in an uncomfortable way and my jaw's numb and my mouth is numb, I mean, all kinds of things are happening in there. I don't see any reason why I have to be there fully participating <laughs> in the experience. I actually have certain scenes in my past that I have saved. I like the... No, seriously, I have, I have a slide of the cathedral in the middle of... Um, uh, the, 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 the cathedral of uh, Santa Maria del Fiore in uh, Florence is beautiful. It's pink marble, pink and white marble. And it's very, I don't know any other pink and white marbles cathedral... And the, because it's the middle of an old, old city, the streets come right up to it. So you don't see it until you've come down a narrow street, any one of the narrow streets, and you suddenly walk into that plaza. There it is, this great pink cathedral right there. So I think about it while they're doing my mouth. Or I think about other kinds of situations I've been in or could be in and again, things I could see again that were really wonderful because they're not in the moment and the moment is unpleasant and if I can exit by putting my attention somewhere else that's comforting and beautiful. Actually, my, my dentist has recently installed television over here so I could do that also. In which case, I, I, if it's a long procedure, I have to put on the cooking program because I like that and I find that 
very consoling. I love to watch cooking programs. But the being in the moment is in order to use the moment as the available gymnastic for really trying to, and the breath in the moment, for really trying to sharpen the attention, keep it present, keep it focused, keep it steady, so then I will be able to focus on the rest of my life steady and with steadiness and clarity and be able to know when I am uh, bewildered by the number of things that are happening which are also upsetting to me that I'm not quite seeing straight. That's why I, it, I, my admonition was don't talk about this to your neighbors. Just wait. I mean, talk about it to the people that you know because it's reassuring to other people who feel the same way you do. But stay up. I, I, I guarantee I was trying very hard during the uh, election season. I keep taking uh, a vow on cable television and I keep breaking the vow because I wanted to see what was happening. I honestly am perfect on the vow since the election. I don't want to be razzed up anymore. I need to, I watch a lot of cooking problem programs if I watch. So I uh, immediately called Jack after I read this article, which goes on being quite wrong. And uh, I said, hurry up, write an article, write a response to the New York Times. You have more clout than I do. Um, So he wrote a response to the New York Times, which so far, I didn't look in this morning's paper. Maybe it's in there. So far it hasn't been here. And he says, um, Unfortunately, Ruth Whitman misunderstands mindfulness, feeling it will rob her of the value of planning, remembering, and the richness of an active and playful mind. In fact, a mindful life helps you to be more relaxed and more present for your child, your work, for planning, for lovemaking, and still take plenty of time to daydream. Misconstruing it to be self-centered She doesn't realize that mindfulness of relationships, community, and the environment are central to mindfulness training for millennia. You could call mindfulness attention and care. It's neither self-centered nor a grim duty, but an invitation to deepen our human capacity to love and attend. You know, actually, he said this to me, and he said, do you think uh, I... I'm, I'm going to send this. Do you think I need to say something else? So I wrote back and I said, maybe, because I'm not sure that uh, mindfulness was uh, was concerned with uh, the environment for millennia. They didn't know there was an environment. Or He said, no, no, no. He said, listen, and he read me the end of the uh, Paranibbana Sutta, which is the last thing that the Buddha taught uh, before he died, in which case, in, at w- in which he says, a monastery or a group of practitioners together make for a community that's harmonious and uh, a surrounding that's harmonious and a world that's harmonious. He said that's concern for the environment. So, uh, I and I agreed. So there it is. So what's the meaning of mindfulness, really? Um, it's not in the moment. It's not just being in the moment. I, I like to think of it, well, this is a, a page out of a, um, a very long um, research paper that's going to be published right away. I can't read very much of it because it's pre-publication. But there's one sentence in here that um, talks about, first of all, this is a whole 
page and two talking about how difficult it is to define mindfulness so that if you say uh, in this in this research we had 50 practitioners practice mindfulness eight hours a day for 30 days you actually don't know what those 30 people those 50 people were doing for 30 days all you know is they were sitting and walking and sitting and walking may have been daydreaming the whole time they may have been taking a nap the whole time so it really talks about like what somebody else sees. Presumably they're following instructions, and that's the only way you can do these, these kind of research. But I think the best kind of um, definition is not, it makes it clear, it's not just sitting in a certain position and it's not about uh, breath. It says, well, it says, this is, this is what I like. Uh, mindfulness is, at least conceptually, considered to be a mental faculty relating to attention, awareness, retention, and memory, and discernment. I think it's the word discernment that really matters. Really, you, you remember, you consider, you think it over. This is what's happening. Oh, yeah, I remember this is like that and that and that and that. And these other thoughts and these feelings are arising in me. And this is what I should do now. Really, what should I do next? So I see I have a number of things to do, but I'm going to read you the Tolstoy because it's too... <laughs> I really liked it. I really like to say that it's in everything. If we look everything, every if we look in everything, everything is giving us answers to how is life. Maybe not everything, but certainly this. This is part of the part of uh, the book where uh, Andre has come home from the war. He's um, uh, his wife has died, um, leaving him with a young son. But he's been out in the war, and the whole previous big piece of the book is about the war. And he comes back and he settles into his routine, which is very plain, and he's not choosing for more. And it says, meantime, people's real life went on. The war was continuing to go on in, the, in the Austria and here and there. And he said, but real, people's real life and the essential concerns of health, illness, work, rest, and its concerns about thinking, learning, poetry, music, love, friendship, hatred, and passions went on as always independently and outside of any political closeness or enmity with both. Napoleon Bonaparte and outside all possible reforms. I was thinking that in the middle, we have always those two television screens, my life and what's happening out there. Depending on what's happening, in you, we, and we all keep, we, we juggle between the two. If I only had my life going on, I'd, I'd be you know, really overwhelmed by it, I think, sometimes. It would be very narrow and limiting, and I'd be fretting and um, if I only had the wholeness of really of of the of everything else that there is in life apart from my story it's like going to see arrivals and putting down the whole story because here's this other amazing thing the mind can go to all kinds of amazing places and think 
and consider and be lifted up, and it can fall down into, I wonder whether he still loves me or not, or why don't they call, and it's my birthday, and they didn't call me, and, and everything in between, and how is so-and-so, and how is so-and-so. We, and everybody has, I, I really like that paragraph, because it, that sentence, because it had to do with, it doesn't matter what century it's in, we're all worried about health and family and enmity and passions and all of that stuff, we still have it. Anyway, he goes, he goes for, to, uh, to some other county on an overnight trip, and he's riding along, and his, uh, he's, got a, he's got a coachman that's driving him. And the coachman is trying to be jolly and say it's a beautiful spring day, and he's in a very melancholy, low mood. He doesn't want anything more from life. He's despondent. And he can't understand the, coach, the coachman's good mood. And he says, at the, he's looking around for some reason. He says, he's probably excited about that it's spring. Ah, that's nothing. He says, at the side of the road stood an oak, probably ten times older than the birches of the woods. It was ten times as thick and twice as tall as any birch. It was an enormous oak, twice the span of a man's arms in girth, with some limbs broken off a long, long ago and broken bark covered with old scars with its huge, gnarled, ungainly, unsymmetrically spread arms and fingers, it stood old, angry, scornful, and ugly among the smiling birch trees. It alone did not want to submit to the charm of spring and did not want to see either springtime or the sun. Spring and love and happiness, the oak seemed to say, how it, how, and how is it that you're not bored with the same stupid deception? Always the same, always the same deception. There is no spring, no sun, no happiness. Look there, sit those smothered dead fir trees, always the same. Look at me spreading my broken flayed fingers wherever they grow, from my back, from my side. As they've grown, so I stand, and I don't believe in your hopes and deceptions. And so he rides out of the woods and he says, he, he sees it, he learns a message from the oak tree. He says there's no need for him to start anything new in his life. He had to live out his life without, he could just leave it out without doing evil, without anxiety, and without wishing for anything. So then he goes, he does his business with the people in this other chateau where he's visiting. And in the middle of the night, he hears laughing voices up in the outside. And he opens his window, and there are two young women who are also guests in this place, and they're laughing and talking, and one of them is saying, come and see the moon. He can't believe the moon. The moon is so beautiful. It's wonderful. And the other one is saying, what's the matter with you? It's the middle of the night. Go to sleep. And she's, oh, see the moon. Look at it. She's laughing. And he, and he hears all this, and he's thinking about the woman with the moon, and the laughing and hearing her voice. And he said, uh, there she is again. He starts up again with a look at the moon. Said, there she is again, as if on purpose, he thought. In his soul, there suddenly arose such an unexpected triangle of youthful thoughts and hopes, contradictory to his whole life, that feeling himself unable to comprehend his own state, he fell asleep at once. The next day, he leaves there, goes home, and his driver is driving him, and bring it. 
So he gets to the woods and he said, yes, here in this woods was the oak that I agreed with, he thought. But where is it? Can't find it. He thought again, looking at the left side of the road and not knowing it himself, not recognizing it, he admired the very oak he was looking for. The old oak quite transformed, spreading out a canopy of juicy dark greenery basked barely swaying in the rays of the evening sun, of the gnarled fingers, the scars, the old grief and mistrust, nothing could be seen. Juicy green leaves without branches broke through the stiff, hundred-year-old bark. It was impossible to believe that this old fellow had produced them. Yes, it's the same oak, thought Andre, and suddenly a causeless springtime feeling of joy and renewal came over him. All the best moments of his life, suddenly recalled themselves to him at the same time. Austerlitz with the lofty sky, the the face of his dead wife, Pierre on the ferry, the girl excited by the moon and the beauty of the night, and the night itself and the moon itself, all of it suddenly recalled itself to him. No, life isn't over at the age of 31, Prince Andre suddenly decided, definitely immutable, It's not enough that I know it's all in me. Everyone else must know it, too. Pierre and the girl who wanted to fly into the sky, everyone must know me so that my life is not only for myself, so that they don't live like that girl independently of my life, but so it's reflected in everyone, and they all live together with me. I think to myself, as I was reading it this week, and I'm thinking about Mind is the author of all things. Those two, that oak tree, he meets it on two days. And in between, he hears uh, young women laughing and the moon is full in a moment that it just hits him in the way that his mind turns around. So the same oak sitting there speaks to him in a different way on both days. And so I think about when we say, I saw it with my own eyes, I heard it with my own ears. It's all untrustworthy, our own eyes and ears. We, 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 we hear what we think. We see what we think. But we see um, through a glass. And I don't remember where the expression through a glass darkly comes from. Do you, anybody remember who said that? It's a famous... Hmm? I, I think Somerset Mom, but I'm, I'm not sure. Through a glass darkly. We'll Google it and it'll come up. But this is how I feel. I feel better than I did when I came in. Do you? Good. Dharma is a lift up. It just is a lift up. It's good. What does Jack always say? It's good in the beginning, it's good in the end, it's good in the middle. You know, if you tell the truth about things, so that's the truth. Truth is, I'm glad to be back. Truth is, I'm glad to see so many of you. How many people felt that they would feel? We took a vote before, and this is the second vote. Some people are taking them almost two hours to get here from the East Bay, and uh, they would feel much relieved if we met from 10 to 12 instead of 9 to 11. That's like, you know, that's like changing the Constitution or something. <laughs> but I'm eager to know how you feel about that. How many people would find it, are indifferent to the idea, it doesn't matter to them? How many people would like it better if it was 10 to 12? 
how many people would like it worse? You have to go to work afterwards, or yeah. Yeah, but I mean, personally, I'd like it worse. But I'm, I would be willing to change to ten for other people, and I could still come. Huh? Could you come? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yes. Ah, there's nobody who couldn't come. You couldn't come. You could. So now I'm in the peculiar position of having to make, you know, it's like suddenly making the Sabbath on Tuesday. I mean, I, I, you know what? I will make that decision. I'll report it to the administration and see what they do. Then it's not mine. Yeah. And it would probably be better for Donald. Oh, it was Donald who brought the whole thing up. Yeah, no, that. Yeah, no, bring, bring the whole thing up. How many people come all the time for Donald as well? That's very good. That's very good. That's very good. Donald is wonderful, by the way. All right. Donald is wonderful. Heidi is wonderful. Tony, was Tony wonderful? Yes. Tony, I thought Tony would be wonderful for Election Day. Huh? Huh? It was good. Everybody needs a way to talk. Okay. May our being together be a cause for um, the arising of uh, each of our good heart to console us and sustain us and hearten us and enable us as we continue to be voices for peace in a, uh, a difficult world. In this, as ever challenging world I don't know ever more challenging I don't even know you know See, it depends on the day and it depends on what you think of on the other you know a hundred years ago we didn't have some of the problems that we have now but neither did we have aortic transplants That's a, I don't know I don't know isn't that amazing you take out an aorta and you valve and you put in one from a pig one of my friends said he'll be great. Don't worry if he occasionally oinks. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. Isn't that now we see it through a glass darkly, then shall we see face to face? And it's that part in the Bible, I think, about love, without love. Uh... Oh, really? Then that would be the letter to the... Uh... <coughs> that would be Paul in the lesser letter to the... I don't remember which one it was, but I remember when I was in school, I used to read it to you. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's look it up, and I'll look in the Google. Thanks. nice to be back. I spent the last month up at the Zen Monastery where I practice, and on Wednesday, the Wednesday afterward, everybody, you can understand, we were all in silence, but then we sat, we all called into the Zendo, and we sat and, uh, and recited the medicine, and for me yeah. personally, I can't tell you what a transformative yeah. experience that was. Yeah. I just wish that the line, nor despise any being in any state, right. didn't mean the people in Michigan who <laughs> 
<laughs> I just wanted to say hello. Mary O'Neill said to say hello to oh, you. Okay. She's my spiritual director. Oh, she was telling me all about. So now I feel I have like two beautiful souls. That oh, terrific, here. terrific. I'll tell Mary. Yes. I, yeah, I What's saw your her name? At Karen. Karen Walsh, yeah, and I just, um, she was my teacher at USF, yeah. and we reunited after like 30 years in an Enneagram class. She's wonderful. Isn't she wonderful? So she just sends her love. Okay. I'll, I'll actually phone her this week. Yes. I, have her in my... I love that. I just wanted, I, I was afraid that there was a misunderstanding. 10 to 12 is great for me. I was the one that raised my hand. Oh. I thought you might have misunderstood and thought I couldn't come, but I absolutely okay. can. Okay, good, good, <laughs> good. So, Scott, I'm so glad that you I found reading that just a spiritual experience. It's just it's, so... It's worth the journey. It gets slow yeah. at points. But yeah, but it's on... But that's like life. It's like life. It doesn't move at a fast pace. So they went out. They This dinner party and that dinner party and this battle and the other battle and this one born and this one dies. That's well, one of the characters. It's I'm, I'm reading Anna Karenina now, but I just... I have such fond memories of it's a project. It's a project. It's a project. I'm simultaneously listening to it, to it being read on Audible. Oh, nice. and, a, and I chose between readers, and I like my reader very well. Oh, that's so. I'm glad. It, 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 I was, I, it reminded me how meaningful. He does all the voices. So it's great. No, he, yeah. he understands something about human nature that I think is really I could see doing it again and again, like people read the Bible every day. It's brilliant. Yeah. I like to read it here. To find the time to do that. Yes, Thank you. Yes, Scott? Yes. Scott. Yes, this is my first time. I really enjoy it. Oh, please come back. Yeah, I'll be back. Hello. Ten years ago, I was at Omega. Uh, ah. We were there with a psychologist woman and a Zen gentleman and a monk. It was my first yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. introduction. And since then, I was accepted at Tara Brock's teacher training in oh, Washington. Oh, wonderful, wonderful, And what I was, I, I was aware, and I don't know why I didn't share, that I was at ease from the moment I walked in because of my memory of who you were. Yeah. And um, I experienced such an ease being here the whole time. And okay. it's my habit like not to share something like that. Mm -hmm. you know? And I would like to remove that <laughs> barrier so that I don't have to be so married to the suffering. Oh. Anyway, thank you so much. Uh, thank you for being here. I'll look for you again. Very, very nice to see you in person. Yeah. Oh. I read all of your books. I think I read The Buddhist Way of Happiness before I even had a Kindle. So oh. that's how we sort of came to Spirit Rock. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, that's nice. Oh, you have a very basso voice. Do you sing baritone? Yeah, thank you for being here. Where do you live in New York? Um, I live in Scarsdale, Westchester, but I work in the city. Ah. Whoa, okay, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. It's very nice to meet you. The same. The same. Ingmar Bergman was the person you were trying to think Through a glass darkly. Through a glass darkly. Yes. You know what? That actually is a New Testament phrase. Yeah, I thought it was. Yeah, someone else through, said it was yeah, Paul. It's through a glass. I saw through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Ah. It's, it's, but it's scripture. All right, so hold it level.
It's got a couple of little goodies in there. Oh, thank you so, so much. Thanks. I had knee surgery, so hopefully I'm going to be okay now. Oh, I'm great. working again oh, without great. a crutch. First time since September, so oh. we're getting better. What a yeah. and, and I have to tell you something funny. I, I didn't want to say this because it wasn't right, but um, several friends and I have been saying, did you ever think you would see the day that you would be grateful to have Romney as secretary? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for being here. I just wanted to tell you, it was almost two years ago that I came to you and I said, I just didn't know what I was going to do. My husband left. Yeah. 44 years of marriage. It's a miracle, isn't it? It is. It's a miracle. I'm so proud of myself. Yeah. yeah, it should be. Yeah. No. I wanted to say that to you because I came to you in such. No, 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 no. No, no, we all have turmoil. We all have turmoil. Good for you. Yeah, no, good, good. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.